Welcome to The End Game, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Auction. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. I am pleased to have as my guest today, Barrett Lewis, the author of the new book, Aging Upwards. Barrett owns a company called Thriving Life, which teaches mindfulness practices to individuals and companies. She manages to combine her longtime professional interest in mindfulness with a desire to help older adults apply these practices to improve their health and well-being. And she is speaking to us today from her current home in the Netherlands. Barrett, thank you so much for making time to be with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Don. It's a pleasure to be here. Mindfulness is one of those topics that lots of people are talking about. But for some people, it still has an air of, of what we call the uh, woo-woo, uh, <laughs> which puts it in the same company as, say, tantric sex and astrology. Uh, do you encounter that sort of resistance? And <laughs> if you do, how do you respond to it? Well, all the time, all the time. It's become such a popular thing, mindfulness. And it's it's a, it's a hard one to define. If you like Google it, there comes a a thousand definitions up so no wonder people are getting it all mixed up and uh, yes yeah, so I, I meet that a lot and uh, and and of course I tell I try my best to explain what it is and what it's not but that's the difficulty with mindfulness is that it's it's not something that's easy to grasp with the intellect alone uh, it's really something mm-hmm. that we have to experience uh, through practice and, and usually that is meditation. It doesn't have to be, but it, it helps a lot because it kind of helps us to let go of all the other things, all the thoughts that's in our minds all the time. And you start to see things a little bit more clearly when you take the time out. Now, you have um, studied mindfulness as an academic, as I understand it. And did you begin your study as a skeptic or as a believer? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> so I come from a psychological uh, psychology background, and uh, yes, was I believing? I I think I was a believer, but I think it was a believer of something than it than it actually is. Uh, wow. I had I was also thinking, wow, what is this mindfulness? I thought it was just this this switch at the back of our head that we could just switch off and it would all be calm and peaceful in there. Mm. And of course, that doesn't work at all. Um, so I went on a silent retreat in order to to find out what this was. Uh, and this is this this is back in about 15 years ago, I first did this. And um, at the same time, I had just finished my psychology degree. And so it was an interesting experience because all these things that I had learned from my intellect alone, like, you know, you can you can change the way you think, you can change the way you frame things. It was all intellectual up in my head, thinking you are not your thoughts. But when I did the, the mindfulness silent retreat, I experienced sitting there and seeing thoughts coming and going without getting hooked on them and without getting attached to them. And I got a different sense and feeling, I would almost say, about what it means to think and what it means to feel emotions and and connect to my body. All of a sudden, it was not me. I had always been very engaged with my thoughts and thinking that whatever I thought was true, because that was me thinking it, right? It was 
the truth. Uh, but then I got this distance from it all, and I realized that that's just the way we wired from an evolutionary point of view. But I don't need to go along with these thoughts, and I don't need to identify with them. And that gave me this freedom, and that's what brought me on to studying more and become a mindfulness teacher. It was like this intellectual thing that I learned got a, another level, and it became a superpower for me. So... Uh, was I a believer? I Yes, and I certainly am now, but not a believer in the way that it, in a spiritual way, but more a believer of that we have the ability to, to change uh, the way that our brains are set up. We can, we can literally go in and change our neurological pathways and, and change our patterns that way. Wow. Now, in your book, you've also talked about how the Western world sometimes views mindfulness, and you called it mech mindfulness, uh, mm. which sounds like fast food, dumbed down, misinterpretation of the concept. Can can you set us straight on what the difference is between mech mindfulness and and what you think of as mindfulness? Yeah, I think it's it's come out um, as an attempt to to get a quick fix for for the challenges we're facing uh and and that's just not how it's gonna work <laughs> yeah so it's it's uh that's one thing it's 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 taking this egoistic way of looking at the world saying okay so how, how can this mindfulness actually help me as an individual work more do even more of what i what is actually causing me to stress out in the beginning and causing me challenges um <laughs> and companies are doing it too to you know sometimes they're thinking if i offer my employees a mindfulness course i can just tick the box and i i'm taking care of them and a lot of companies are not doing that either it's it's of course that's just a, um uh putting it on the spot but i think we have a hard time understanding that mindfulness is not just about me it's it's it starts with me but the more you work on yourself and you start to realize how you interact with the people around you and how much you influence them and being influenced by them you start to realize that you can change the world you can change the culture of an organization of an organization um bringing in more compassion and that way you get more compassion back so yes, you start with yourself and mindfulness is an inner journey, but it's very much about social relationships, I think, yeah. Mm, okay. And, and what is the connection for you between mindfulness and aging? So I think what brought me onto aging is, is actually a personal story. I think um, when, when COVID happened, um, I couldn't go out and teach in organizations like I used to. Uh, and being Danish, living in the Netherlands with a Welsh husband and children and go to an, an American school, we all always thinking, where are we going to move? Where's a good life? What's a good place to live when the children one day leave home and we got to retire? Um, so I wanted, I took this opportunity to think, okay, this is a time for me to write this book that I always wanted to write. Uh, and I looked around and I uh, to interview people who was older than me and people who have an academic background in aging as well. And I found just about 15 minutes away from where I live at Leiden University, they had this master in vitality and aging. And uh, I realized it was just one year. So I thought, why, hey, why not go back to school and do that for a year? 
And, uh, and as part of that, I created and taught uh, an, an online mindfulness-based uh, vitality and aging course. Uh, and I did some qualitative research on it to see what mindfulness gave these participants. And they were, they were all women who signed up. Uh, and they all came back to me and said that mindfulness gives them this um, flexibility, mental flexibility, so that mm. it, all of a sudden they can't do the things they used to do. Uh, they can't maybe do yoga anymore, even though that's what gives them pleasure in life. Uh, they can spend all their time being so caught up in why not and I wish and I, I wish I was young, I wish I wasn't feeling like this and so on. But they thought, okay, I can accept where I am with self-compassion and then look for something else that gives me the same feeling that yoga originally gave me about who I am and what's important to me. And and so that's what brought me on to, to the aging bit. But I actually don't think that it's any different the mindfulness that I teach to, to, uh, to teenagers or middle-aged people or aging people it's the same look and habits and skills that I teach, but it's the challenges that are different. And I think mindfulness for, for when we get older, we, um, we have more challenges uh, in the way of accepting because when we're younger, we always, it's easier to navigate. We can always find different routes to do something differently. But, some, but, but sometimes there are hard stops when we get older because our bodies are not cooperating the way it used to or our minds are maybe not working the same way it did. So we can, we can work with that, with the mindfulness. Uh, and I actually think that the younger you start, the better you are prepared for using it when you're older because it is a, it's a lifelong skill that you have to learn. And then there's another challenge with the aging and that's this uh, narrative in our society that says that when you're 50 mm. it's all downhill right. and and so that's a challenge because we internalize that and we take it for granted we actually think that it is downhill but it's not it's just a change it's a different change in life that we got to adapt to and accept and and meet with with compassion so so i think mindfulness is a it's a brilliant skill for everybody but but it really especially for for older people and the challenges they face well, I'm very much in agreement with what you said about about flexibility because I think my experience as as in growing older has been that that there are more unpleasant surprises along the way, but that being resilient and being able to bounce and and write it off and say, "Okay, so it is. What next?" is really really key. Yeah. And a lot of older folks I've talked to have who thrive have, have felt the same. So mm. I, I think that's a really important skill and I'm glad that mindfulness uh, cultivates that. Yeah, I think, I think that, that the key thing is that it brings you awareness. And, and, and also going back to what you asked earlier about what's the difference between Mac mindfulness and real mindfulness. It's the awareness, it's that ability to see the patterns and the thoughts mm -hmm. and to question them and step out uh, of automatic pilot and not just on an intellectual level, but actually to be able to meet it with your body and feel the signals and meet your body with, with acceptance. Uh, that's, that's the key here. And once you have that awareness, you can also see 
that this ageism that we've been told from everybody around us, that it, that we can change that. And it comes from within. We don't have to be limited by it. Yeah, well, that would be a blessed thing if we could do that, because it certainly yeah. is pervasive all around us. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of, of bringing it into your bloodstream and feeling like it must be true. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I don't know about European education, uh, but when I was a college student, mindfulness was not one of the major choices that I had, uh, and I doubt it was for you either. Um, so how no. did you come to focus your academic interest on this? Uh, I, th I think it was just a, an interest. It was a... Uh... I don't know where it came from. I don't know where interest really come from originally, but I think, I think uh, that's a very good question. <laughs> uh, where did it come from? I don't know. I think, I think when I was, because uh, I come from a background originally from communication um, and I was very much in interested. So my job, I worked for the Danish defense and uh, and it was both internal and external communication that was my job, but I was certainly much more interested in this internal communication and how to um, create hmm. community and uh, common grounds, common, common social relationships. Uh, and I think, so when we moved to the Netherlands, uh, I had a bit of a sort of a, a personal identity crisis because all of us, I was very much willing to go here because uh, we had two young children at the time and uh, we never saw anything and we were stressed and and I stepped back from my career as a communication consultant and I realized oh my god I was so married to that title uh, and all of a sudden I was just a housewife and a, and a, and a mother and um, and that's what brought me on to psychology and 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 also further on to mindfulness and and looking back at that I think it, there has been a red thread all the way through it it's 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 that ability to um, to change our our the way we look at the world and the way we act in the world, and then affect the world and affect ourselves. That mutual relationship between which is really communication, right, and internal and external. Uh, so I think that's it. I, I think it's all related. Whether it was uh, it was aging or communication or psychology, I studied. I think it's the same theme, interrelations. Yeah. The, the magazine Rolling Stone used to have an advertisement campaign way back in the, in the way back where they, one side of the page said perception and the other side said reality. But it seems to me that what you're talking about is changing perception in order to change reality, uh, which is something I, I heard from one of my first yoga instructors and didn't quite believe but am I right? Is that what you're very really much? About? That's spot on what I'm trying to say. Yes. And I, <clears throat> do you know, Victor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor? Yeah. Uh, he sure. said that the last thing, I can't remember the exact quote, but he's saying the, the, the last thing that human beings can change is the way that we approach things. It's our attitude. And I think that there are things mm -hmm. we cannot change. Uh, but we can always, always change the way that we respond to it. 
and uh, and that's back to the awareness again. First, we've got to be a, become aware of our patterns and how we're reacting instinctually, and then take that moment, that second to to realize that and ask ourselves, okay, so what's a better way to respond here? What's actually going to help me in the long run and and the situation? Yeah. Going going back to older adults for a moment, um, are there challenges in becoming mindful that that older adults face that others don't, or is it easier? What have you found? Is it easier for older people to become mindful? Yes. Mm. Or harder? I think I, I I don't think that's a, a matter of age. I think that's a matter of of, of who you are and how willing okay. you are to make that change. Because uh, I think actually, well, when, when I looked into research, it turned out that a lot of, of, of with age, we actually tend to become, we have more uh, mindfulness traits, actually. So some people are definitely more uh, mindful in the way uh, we are more emotional intelligent. So mm-hmm. we don't get so easily caught up in negative thoughts and emotions, and we don't react so strongly to them as we do when we're younger. So in that way, and we also maybe become better at not letting ourselves get carried away with the little annoyances in life. We sort of tend to to focus more about what is the important thing in life. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I think it, it, it comes naturally with age for some of us, but for some of us not, because I think uh, it's it's for some it's just so hard to uh, to to let go of all the things because i think also the older you get the more trotten down path you have in your brain and and why i'm saying it like that is because when i teach when i teach mindfulness to to teenagers i often give them the picture in the head to say imagine that you're standing on this field of grass and every step you take into the grass you're starting to make little pathways so whatever you think whatever you do is starting to make pathways and along in your life some of these becomes highways motorways and they become your default thing so if you start when you're 12 saying to yourself i'm not good enough nobody likes me or Mm -hmm. things are going to go wrong or and these beliefs are just getting stronger and stronger and stronger the more you hear yourself say them in your mind So I think when you're 80, you've heard these sayings to yourself so much. For 80 years, you heard yourself saying, I'm not good enough. Of course, it's going to be hard to let go of that and to start to question that. So I think in that way, it's probably harder. So we're talking about neural pathways, that that the 80-year-old has a superhighway. And to be mindful, you've got to veer off and form a new path. Yeah. And that's hard if, if necessary, because there, there might be good paths. Some of them you don't know, but you at least ah. have to to acknowledge them and say, OK, is this <laughs> helping me? Is it helping me live the life I want to live? Yeah, right. Great. Um, what is it that you hope people will gain by reading your book, Aging Upwards? I hope that people reflect on aging in a or see aging in a different light so it's not true this old story that it's all downhill and and i i hope they start to question that question their own beliefs their own patterns 
and what they hear out in society. And that's hard because uh, I find it hard. Like I often meet some of my friends when we meet and they say, oh, you haven't aged. And I'm going, yes, I have. And so have you. And it's, it usually doesn't sit very well. <laughs> but it's a long, long process. And I think it, this is the, like a very beginning. We have to change this whole narrative about us that it be it's being old is bad and being young is good life is so much more complicated than that and uh, and 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 also that suffering and pain and difficulties is part of life and we can approach them in a different way uh, and they can actually be a source of of rich living a rich life that's based on the things that's important to us and it can be a a source of compassion and kindness for ourselves and fellow human beings. So there are so many ways that we can reframe, we can see our life. And I think I'm not giving, I'm not, the book is not a, a recipe for a good life by any chance, but I hope that people are starting to question, question the, the, the things we've been brought up to believe. Yeah. Wonderful. Barry, thank you so much for speaking to us today at The End Game and sharing your insights on mindfulness and how we all might use it to make for better and satisfying lives. I, I certainly am encouraged by your thoughts that uh, we're growing wiser as we grow older, and I'm, I'm glad to have that compensation. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, very that's much... good to know, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate you being with us and, and, and sharing your thoughts. I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you so much. It's, it's been fun. So to read more about Berit and order her book, Aging Upwards, you can go to her website, thrivinglife.eu. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The End Game, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The End Game.